So in our gospel lessons over the last few Sundays, Jesus has been teaching us using a series of parables. Last week he taught us about how Satan sows weeds in the church that mix in with the good, the good seed that Jesus has sown. And Deacon Jane reminded us in her sermon how we have to be very careful because when those weeds are young, they look just like the wheat. And the gospel lesson actually came from the verse, this was last Sunday's gospel, came from the verses that are missing from today's gospel lesson. Today's lesson is from Matthew 13, and it's verses 31 to 33, and then it picks up again at 44 and goes to 50. So those missing verses, verses 34 to 43, they were last Sunday's gospel lesson. And then the Sunday before, Jesus taught us about the different soils or the different hearts, that, the different attitudes that exist in the church and how we can recognize them in ourselves and in others. This week, Jesus teaches us several more parables in our gospel lesson. He tells us about the mustard seed and about the leaven and the flour. He tells us the parable of the treasure hidden in the field and the parable of the pearl of great value. He tells us that the kingdom of heaven is, is like a net that gathers fish of every kind. Like the weeds and the good seed from last Sunday's lesson, the fish also represent the different people that we find in the church. And Jesus tells us how those fish will be sorted, good from bad, at the end of the age. Well, this morning I want to focus on the two treasure parts of Jesus' lesson, the buried treasure and the pearl of great value. I'm going to lift this up a little bit. It's easier for me to see it. So in verse 44, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. The man goes and finds it, and he covers it up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he had, and he buys that field. Now, the idea of burying money or other valuables in the ground it might sound a little strange to us today. Buried treasure, it's something that we think uh, about associated with pirates and mummies. But burying your most valuable possessions for safekeeping, it was a very common practice in the first century. Today, if you have any money, you usually put it in the bank, and we keep most of our valuable things locked up in a safe. But 2,000 years ago, there weren't any banks for the common people. Only the wealthy people had access to banks. And even then, back in those days, banks weren't always the safest place to keep your money. As a kid, I can remember how leery my grandparents were of banks. They were alive when the banks failed during the Great Depression. And so many people lost their life savings. And because of that, my grandparents didn't trust the banks. And so instead of keeping their money in the bank, they kept it under the mattress in their bedroom. And they hid it in different places around the house. They even buried some things of value out in the backyard. And that's exactly what the people in the first century did. This, is, this was especially true in Palestine, because like today, Palestine has always been a place of turmoil and frequent wars. Burying your valuables help protect you against losing them to your enemies who might come in and raid your village, right? raid your home. If you survived the raid, you at least had some hope of, of maybe saving some of your most valuable things so that you could start all over again. Do you remember the parable 
of the talents that Jesus taught us in Matthew 25. It's the lesson about the master who gave some money to three of his servants. The first servant was given five talents, the second two, and the, the third was given one. In the first two servants, they invested the money and it multiplied. But the third servant was worried. He didn't want anything to happen to that money. He wanted to keep it safe. So what did he do? He buried it in the ground. Burying your valuables in the ground was a very common practice. And so over the years, the ground around Palestine became a, a treasure trove of sorts. The land was littered with forgotten treasures, both large and small. When the owner of a buried treasure died or was unexpectedly expectedly driven from the land, like so, say during the Babylonian exile, his treasure would be lost forever unless someone eventually discovered it. And so in those days, it wasn't uncommon at all for a person who was plowing or digging in a field to accidentally come upon something of value that had long been forgotten, an old forgotten buried treasure. And so Jesus's parable about this man who found a buried treasure in a field, it wouldn't have sounded far-fetched at all to the people who were listening to him teach that day. So at first glance, you might think that the man described in the parable is somehow dishonest. After all, when he stumbled on the buried treasure, he didn't go tell the owner of the field about his great find. Since it was on the owner's property, it was rightfully belonged to him, right? Well, no, not necessarily. You see, Jewish rabbinic law said that if a man finds scattered fruit or money, it belonged to the finder. Basically, the law was finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And so the people listening to Jesus' parable that day, they wouldn't have thought that the man's actions were dishonest or unethical at all. According to the law, the man had every right to what he had found. If a man came across money or other valuables it was, that was obviously lost and whose owner was dead or unknown, well, the person finding it had a right to keep it, keep whatever was found even if it was found on someone else's property. It's obvious that the treasure didn't belong to the man who owned the field. When I say that, because if it did, then he would have dug up the treasure before he sold the field to the man. But he didn't, because he didn't know the treasure was there. Apparently, it must have belonged to a previous owner who probably died long ago and who, was there, who had buried his treasure, and it was lost to time. And so really, the man who found the treasure was extremely honest. And I say that because he didn't have to go buy the field in order to claim the found treasure. He could have just taken the treasure, but he didn't. Instead, he buys the field. In fact, he didn't even use a portion of the treasure that he found to provide the money to go and buy the field. Instead, he sells everything that he has to come up with the money. And so clearly this man didn't do anything unethical. But we need to be careful not to lose sight of the main point of the parable, which is this. A man found something so valuable that he let go of everything that he had just to get it. He was so excited about finding the treasure that he was willing to do whatever he had to do in order to possess it. And then in verse 45, Jesus tells us the parable of the pearl of great value. He says, 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. In this parable, we have a man who was a merchant. Now, the Greek word for a merchant is imperios. It's where we get the English word imperium from. And imperios was a man who would buy things at wholesale, and then he would go and sell them to somebody else, who would in turn go and sell them at retail. If the parable, in the parable, this imperios is, is looking specifically for fine pearls. It was common for merchants in that day to look for pearls to sell, and at the same time, to look for extra high-quality pearls that they might buy for themselves. In those days, people would invest in pearls in the same way people today, some people invest in gold or silver. Pearls were ex considered extremely valuable in the first century, similar to how diamonds are today. In fact, they were the, one of the most valuable gems in the world at the time. If you own even one high-quality pearl, it could be worth a fortune. Now, one of the reasons for this was that pearl hunting was a very dangerous occupation. A pearl, it just simply isn't a treasure that you stumble across as you walk along the beach. They aren't found like that. In biblical times, they were obtained at great cost. Many people died while pearl hunting. Fine quality pearls, they come from pearl oysters that thrive at an average depth of 40 feet. Now that's almost six times as deep as the deep end of the pool at my house. So can you imagine trying to dive down that far, six times deeper than the deep end of the pool? And hold your breath as you search for pearls. Those pearl divers didn't have any scuba diving equipment. And your diving equipment was basically a rope and a rock. The pearl diver would tie a large rock around his waist and jump over the side of a little boat, allowing the weight of the rock to carry him down to the oyster beds. There were sharks, poisonous eels, many other dangers that a diver could encounter as he held his breath while searching through the mud, looking for oysters. And when he found an oyster, there was no guarantee that there would be a pearl inside. An average oyster, I'm sorry, an average of only one oyster in a thousand actually contains a pearl. One in a thousand. So do you see why pearls were so precious and so valuable in the first century? This parable describes a man, an imperialist, who goes around looking for fine pearls and who then sells them to retailers for a profit. But when he finds the most beautiful pearl that he has ever seen, he goes and sells everything that he has in order to obtain that pearl for himself. Both the parable of the found treasure in the field and the parable of the pearl of great value teach us about the priceless value of God's kingdom. Now, sometimes we forget what God's kingdom really is. Sometimes we think of the kingdom of God as, as heaven, as the afterlife that we pass on to from this life into the next. But the kingdom of God is his church. The kingdom of God is here and now. Remember, John the Baptist didn't preach, repent for the kingdom of God is coming at some point in the future. John preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. 
The pearl in the parable is an especially appropriate image for the kingdom of God, the church, because it's the only gem that cannot be improved by man. You think about it, all other gems have to be cut and they have to be polished by skilled craftsmen before they have any real value as a gemstone. But a pearl is different. A pearl is perfect when it's found. It can't be improved by cutting it or polishing it. In fact, one cut from a human hand will ruin that pearl and make it worthless. And that makes the pearl especially appropriate for, uh, as a symbol for the kingdom of God because the kingdom is a divine institution designed by a perfect God from the very beginning. And any attempt on the part of man to change or to try to improve the kingdom robs it of its perfection. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the builder of the church. He's the head of the church, the cornerstone. He is her bridegroom. And the church, the body of Christ, is even more valuable than the pearl in Jesus' parable. When you think about how much it means to you to be part of the church, to know that Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross so that you might live, to know that you can approach the throne of Almighty God and call him Abba, how much is that worth to you? How do you begin to compare those riches with the material riches that we're so familiar with? How can you compare the blessing of, a, of an answered prayer with a brand new car or Jesus's death on the cross to a mansion in the best neighborhood in town? How can you compare eternal life with the Lord and the body of Christ with a fat bank account or a healthy retirement fund? You can't. I think that's the whole point of these two parables. Jesus wants us to realize how valuable a treasure being a part of the body of Christ is, how priceless having a loving relationship with him is and with other believers is. Now imagine how excited you'd be if you were digging in your garden and you found a, a diamond the size of a baseball. Christ in his kingdom, Christ in his church, are treasures way beyond that. But being part of the kingdom involves a sacrifice. Have you ever seen something that you just had to have, something that you were willing to make any sacrifice for? Maybe when you were a kid, it was a special bike or a toy that you saved up your allowance for and your birthday money for to get. You gave up candy bars going to the movies so you'd have enough money to go and buy it. Or maybe as you got older, it was a, a car or something for the house, something that was so special that you were willing to give up going out and going to a restaurants a couple of times a month, willing to give up buying some new clothes or willing to give up extras in your life so that you can get that something special. Both of these par parables involve men who bought things of great value, but they had to make sacrifices. In fact, they both gave up everything that they had to obtain their treasures. My brothers and sisters in Christ, while both the treasure and the pearl were bought with money, the Bible says you cannot buy your salvation with money. But still, there is a cost to salvation. It is the price of commitment. There is a cost involved in being a follower of Christ, and Jesus wants us to understand that. Most Americans today, especially those under the age of 40, they don't really know a whole lot about sacrifice. 
to most people today, the Great Depression is just a boring story about, about terrible things that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Or the 1970s gas lines that wrapped around the block or cereal to supper or hand-me-downs or black and white TV that only got three or four channels or a house with only one bathroom and no air conditioning. They've all become stories from ancient history. Today, we're so used to having things so easy. And sometimes that easy come attitude carries over into the church. And so we want to enjoy all the blessings of the kingdom, but we don't want to do too much. We don't want to give too much. We, don't, we certainly don't want to sacrifice too much. But just as the two men in the parable had to sacrifice to gain their treasure, we must also make sacrifices to gain our treasure. In Luke 14, Jesus said that we need to count the cost. Count the cost, he said. There is a cost to being a Christian, and we need to decide whether we're willing to pay the price or not. Neither of the two men in the parables complained about the sacrifice that they each chose to make. In fact, they probably didn't even consider it to be a sacrifice. One gives up everything for the field, and the treasure buried in that field, and the other gives up everything for a pearl. And they both do so willingly and joyfully. And so I pray that what you take away from today's gospel lesson and the sermon is that the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the church, and your place in that family is more valuable than anything that you could ever own. And that she is a treasure worth sacrificing for, because she is worth everything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.